Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, or if you've got a digital copy, Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, let's see, I was trying to look around the crowd to see if we had a special guest. We do. Uh, Jason Mace from NYOC is worshiping with us this morning. Jason, stand up so everybody can see you. Good to have you, Jason. Uh, God's doing some cool things there. People are coming to Christ. People are getting saved. And uh, guys, we're all on the same team. Amen? Amen. We want to see people get saved. It's about building and advancing the kingdom. And so I'm so, so honored and, and uh, happy to have you here with us, brother. I pray that you're blessed today. And uh, we pray for God's continued blessing on his ministry there. Uh, we're going to be talking later, uh, just as a heads up, uh, about doing some things once a month on a Sunday evening starting in uh, May and June for several months uh, over in Fairfield and uh, kind of partnering with them and some other local churches uh, to get sort of out of the building and into the community and, uh, and worship the Lord together and uh, share the word. All right. So hopefully everybody's in Isaiah chapter six by now. We're going to continue this morning. We're going to go back to a series that we began several weeks ago about the names of God. And as we mentioned earlier when we began this, there's, there's a wide variety of names of, of God in the scripture, although we don't always see them that way because we just usually see God or Lord or Lord in all capital letters or Jehovah, but we, there are a lot of really cool names and elements about who God is that are seen in names that we sometimes miss in our English Bibles. And so... Today, I want to talk about a different name, and I want to start with a verse from Psalm 24, 7, verse through, uh, verses 7 through 10. I'll put this on the screen for you. Um, and this psalm comes right after Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, right? And so David writes, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. In this passage, the Lord is referred to as the Lord of hosts, which is translated or comes from Jehovah Sabbath. Now, that's not the same as Sabbath. That's a different word. Jehovah Sabbath, or the Hebrew equivalent of that is Yahweh Sabbath. And what it literally means is the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies. Now, if you're a dude in here this morning, I mean, that has got to be one of those names that just floats your boat. I mean, this just gets your motor running. He is not a wimpy. He is not a, a scared or a, 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 a I'm not sure what I should do kind of Lord. He is the Lord of armies. Amen. Now, when somebody said something really cool and I was in the army, everybody would always just say, Hua. all right, so I need our guys especially when I say he's the Lord of armies, I just need a great big hua, all right? So, he is the Lord of armies. Oh, that sounded so cool. I would do that again, because that just sounded really good. 
He is the Lord of armies. Yeah, we, got, we might have to incorporate that. That's, that's so cool. We, this name of God, that he is the Lord of armies, shows up over 270 times in the Old Testament. And what, what that means to you is this makes it the most frequently used uh, compound title of God in the entire Old Testament. In other words, it, when you put two names together of God, this is the one that's used more than any other in all of the Old Testament. And I think what's so awesome about that is that when you understand that God is the Lord of hosts, that he is the Lord of armies, you get a whole new picture of God. When you understand that he is Yahweh Sabaoth, that he, is, he commands these armies, you get a picture that is, is unlimited in power, is unstoppable in might, is just breathtaking in its glory. I mean, it's, it's almost, truly, it's almost impossible to describe and incredible to imagine. And this is the God that Isaiah encountered and that he was trying to describe and attempt to describe in Isaiah chapter six. So let's look at the first couple of verses of Isaiah six. Isaiah writes this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, and seraphim are a type of angel. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of angel armies. Holy, 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 the whole earth is filled with his glory. It is such an incredibly large, massive God. It was a God that, that Isaiah in his wildest dreams could not have pictured and imagined. And when he saw this God, he was so overwhelmed by this God and the sheer size of God and the majesty of God and the glory of God and the power of God that it changed him. It changed him forever. In fact, in verse five, if you look down just two verses, this was his response to that. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. You say, I'm wrecked. I am just wrecked. I am completely taken apart by this encounter. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It is a jaw-dropping picture of God. And Isaiah was forever changed by that encounter. And my prayer for us this morning is that we are in some measure changed by this picture of the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Father, as we 
come to your word this morning, God, remind us that we are in the presence of an almighty, omnipotent, powerful, majestic, awe-inspiring God. And Lord, we come today and, and we celebrate your goodness. We celebrate your mercy. But Lord, I just pray that in some small measure, you will let us experience what Isaiah experienced that day, that we are wrecked, God, by the incredible majesty and power of who you are. Lord, may our lives somehow never look quite the same because we begin to catch just a glimpse of who you are as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. God, speak to each and every one of us this morning. Lord, meet every person where they are. And Lord, help us to be changed by the encounter. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. So, I want to tell you a story about someone that has come to mind recently. We've, we've just been through a pretty significant event in our country. Uh, we just went through an impeachment of a president. And I'm not here to talk about politics this morning. But while this impeachment was going on, there were quite a few references. Um, and if you were paying attention to this, you probably saw a lot of references to Richard Nixon and Watergate. And one of Richard Nixon's primary um, henchmen, if you will, was a guy by the name of Charles Colson. Uh, he was one of the key figures in that whole Watergate debacle. And um, he, was, he was a special counsel to Richard Nixon, and he, was, he, he self-described himself as a, uh, a hatchet man. And that's how he described himself. He was a central figure in the whole thing that played out with Watergate. Well, he confessed, went to prison, and a lot of you know some of his story, but there's some part of his story that you may not know, and that's on June 1st, 1973, when Watergate was blowing up in the news and in the press as, as we knew it at the time, uh, he, he went to visit a friend of his by the name of uh, Tom Phillips. And Colson was just a mess. I mean, his name was all over the place. He was being criticized and, and accused of all sorts of things. He was, he was a huge proponent of Richard Nixon. And, and of course, Nixon was being thrown under the bus. So everything that could possibly be going wrong was going wrong. It was a really ugly, ugly time. And when he went to see his friend, uh, he noticed that while Chuck Colson was a mess, his friend was like perfectly at peace. And like nothing was bothering this guy at all. And, and he was like, how in the world, uh, because they were close friends and this guy was sort of politically connected. He goes, how in the world are you dealing with all of this mess and, and you're just like riding it out and nothing is bothering you at all? Well, his friend told him that he had accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. Well, that just like, that was one of those answers that you never expect to hear from anybody. And, and Chuck Colson, you know, his, his acknowledgement of that was that he was just floored by that. He was astonished that this person that he knew just acknowledged that, hey, I've invited Jesus Christ into my life to be my Lord and Savior. 
And he didn't know what to think about that, but he knew one thing. He knew that that guy was at peace and he was not. And there was no mistaking that whatsoever. Well, he went out to his car uh, after he finished his time with his friend and he, and he says that he couldn't even put his keys in the ignition because he was crying so hard. And this is what he said about that particular moment. He said, that night, I was confronted with my own sin. Not just Watergate's dirty tricks, but the sin deep within me. The hidden sin, the hidden evil that lives in every human heart. It was painful and I could not escape. I cried out to God and I found myself drawn irresistibly to his waiting arms. That was the night that I gave my life to Jesus Christ and began the greatest adventure of my life. Don't you love that story? That's a great story. And it has been told hundreds and I, I probably the truth is that story has probably been told thousands and thousands of times. And we love to hear those types of stories and party kind of wants to cheer. It's like, yes, that's so cool. A man who was so far from God in the middle of a mess talks to somebody else who got saved and he was so convicted by that. He couldn't even put his keys in the car. He's convicted by his sin and he says yes to God and everything changed. But there's another step that happened a few years later that takes this thing, as we used to say down in South Carolina, takes it to a whole nother level. How do you like it when something goes to a whole nother level? Here's what happened. A few years later, he acknowledged that he had to repent again. But this time of a woefully inadequate view of God. He repented of his sins and got saved sitting in his car, a complete wreck and a complete mess. But a few years later, he repented again because he realized that even though he met a saving Christ, he had a woefully inadequate view of just who God really is. And that is important for us this morning because far too often, too many of us settle for exactly the same thing. We meet a saving Jesus, but we have a woefully inadequate view of the greatness of who God is. Yes. In, in that moment of repentance, something in Chuck Colson clicked, and like Isaiah, he saw the Lord of hosts high and lifted up, and his glory filled the whole earth. And that's who our God is. That's who the Lord of hosts really is. And you know, the interesting thing for him is that Chuck Colson says that that 
realization came to him in a really spiritually dry season. And some of you here this morning, you may feel like you are in the middle of a really spiritually dry season. And if that hits you this morning, you feel like you know exactly what he meant and you know exactly what I'm talking about, then be encouraged because some people have their most important spiritual breakthrough right in the middle of a spiritually dry season. And that is probably true of the very first person to ever use the name Lord of Hosts in Scripture. Flip over to 1 Samuel, or if you've got a digital copy, 1 Samuel. Just look it up. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We have the story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 of a man and a woman, a man named Elkanah and a wife named Hannah. And Elkanah loved his wife. He loved his wife dearly. But Hannah had never had children. And it grieved her because in in biblical times, a woman without a child was a woman without an identity. And and she was so heartbroken. And Elkanah would look at her and he said, "I, I love you and am I not better to you than 10 sons? That's how strong and how deep and how committed his love was for Hannah. But nothing could soothe Hannah's pain. And so when you pick up the story in verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, she was in bitterness of soul. And she prayed to the Lord and she wept in anguish. Does this sound like somebody who is having a great moment in her life? Absolutely not. Does this sound like a woman who might know what it is to be in a spiritually dry desert place where it looks like nothing is ever going to come to fruition that you have staked your life on, that you have prayed for, that you have trusted for, that it's just not going to happen and maybe God is just not who she thought he was Does it sound like that woman or a woman who's having the time of her life? This is a woman who knows what it means to be going through a tragically hard time in her life. In verse 11, in the middle of that, she made a vow. And she said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but you'll give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. She asked the Lord of hosts to hear and to grant the most heartfelt prayer that she could possibly utter. This was the deepest, 
darkest, most difficult thing in her entire existence. And she didn't just pray to God. She prayed to the Lord of hosts. This is the first time anyone ever came and used that name in all of scripture. She prayed to the Lord of hosts. Who, and we've already said the literal meaning of that means that he is the Lord of armies. Now, I love that term, the Lord of armies. But does that necessarily mean that it is a military term? Because armies can have a whole lot of meanings. And I think one of the things that you're going to find this morning as we talk about the Lord of hosts is the multiple meanings of army and what it means that the Lord is the Lord of hosts, that he's the Lord of armies. I think you're going to be blessed by this. So I'm going to look at three, three ways that he is the Lord of hosts and what that means for us. Number one is that the Lord of hosts can offer provision. The Lord of hosts can offer provision. Now, host, I mean uh, army, army can mean a large number or it can mean a military term, right? I, mean, I was in the army. People, weapons, rifles, tanks, whatever the case may be, it's an army can be a group of people that are ready to go to battle. An army, you can have an army of ants, right? You can have an army of volunteers. So an army can be also be just a large number of whatever. So I want to look at two verses. I'll put them on the screen for you to kind of give that picture of what it means to be the Lord of hosts. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. He writes, you alone are the Lord. You've made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve them all, the host of heaven worships you. Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Both of these verses reference the word host in regard to the act of creation. In the act of creation, we see that the Lord was the Lord of hosts. Although the title is not given to him, that's clearly what is referenced because he creates these things in all their host. Well, so a Jewish rabbi once said about this particular uh, image and, and use of the word, he said that this could mean that all of the atoms, all of the molecules, the vast array of them all were working together like an army that is lined up for one purpose to accomplish exactly what they are told to accomplish. And so when the command of the king was given, like an army, all of these elements, all of these atoms, all of these molecules lined up and did exactly what the king told them to do. That is such a cool picture and an amazing thought to me. That all of the elements in our entire universe can be looked at like an army under the command of God Almighty. Every part of your body, every part of the universe, all lines up and must respond to the command of the King. So is it any wonder 
that a woman who was so distraught because all these years she had desired, desperately desired a child and had not had one, finally prayed to the Lord of hosts that can create something out of nothing and make everything respond to his command. Is it any wonder that this is the woman who first got on her knees and prayed to the Lord of hosts, Lord, all of this responds to your command. God, please hear my prayer and make it happen. And you know what? God, the Lord of hosts, answered her prayer. What does that mean to you this morning? Maybe you find yourself in a very spiritually dry season. Maybe there's something going on in your world, in your life, and you need something to happen that is, just doesn't appear anywhere. Or you need something that is a, an obstacle, a hurdle, to somehow be gone. The Lord of hosts is the general and the commander of every element in the universe. And when he speaks, they must respond. You've got a cancer. I'm not telling you God's going to take it away, but I'm telling you that the Lord of hosts can command that thing to be gone, and it will be. You need God to show up and provide provision that is, you can't see it anywhere on the radar. The Lord of hosts, the commanding general of the universe, can command things to line up and appear just as you have need. He is the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts offers protection and presence. I'll give you a definition of heavenly host. It's a group or an army, large number, with heavenly power to assist God's people. A large number, a large group, a large army with heavenly power to assist God's people. And one of the main purposes of heavenly host is to strengthen and comfort believers. I I love this. Here's the psalmist writes in Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Haggai 2.4 says this, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. And work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Be strong. I'm with you. We have every reason to get up every morning and do exactly what God has called us to do without fear of what someone may think, without fear of what someone may do, without fear of whether we will have his presence and his abiding its support in the moment because he said, I am the Lord of hosts, I am with you. Be strong, take courage, I'm there. Amen. 
And so many times we get up and we feel God urging and saying, take this chance, speak into this person, go do this, go do that. Involve yourself in this particular area of ministry. We go, well, I'm just, I don't know, Lord. I just don't know. I don't think I can do it. And he says, yes, you can. The Lord of hosts is with you. And the host is a large group. You've got more help than you can possibly imagine. You are surrounded by it. And he says, I'm with you. You can do this thing. And yet there's a whole bunch of us. And even though he says he's with us and he is with us, right? You remember Paul says in Romans that he would never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us. And yet somehow we just can't seem to get it straight. How is that possible? Look at this other verse in Haggai. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one's warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You know, there is no substitute for God's presence, but church, God is not going to do the work for you. He's not going to do the work for you. Consider your ways. Listen, if you're here this morning and things are not going in your life spiritually the way that they ought to, don't you dare, dare, dare blame God. Well, why would God do that? God ain't doing nothing. He's with you. The Lord of hosts is with you. Take courage. Do the work. But he tells you to do the work. He tells me to do the work. He's not going to do it for us. And when everything is falling apart, it's not because God's not with us. He's with us. He says, consider your ways. Church, if you're sitting here and it's not going right and the wheels feel like they're falling off the bus, I beg you by the name of the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. If your money is going into a bag of holes and nothing that you do seems to ever quite be enough, consider your ways. God's with you. Step into the the life of faith. And the life of faith is not just showing up here on Sunday morning. That is not the life of faith. That's where you refill the life of faith. The life of faith gets worked out and challenged when you go out these doors Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Consider your ways. That's why Joshua said in, verse, in uh, Joshua 24, verse 15, before they went in the promised land, he gathered everybody together and he said, hey, choose, choose today whom you're going to serve. Choose today whom you're going to serve. God is with you. God is with you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. God is with us. 
But we have to do the work. We have to choose. Will we trust God? Will we take him at his word? Will we believe that he really is the Lord of hosts? Or we say, well, I'm not really sure. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, and this is, this is really a bracing thought. He said, who that is not with me is against me. And he's not just talking about who's saved and who ain't saved. Do you remember at one point in time, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. You remember that? Because, you know, even somebody who belongs to Jesus can be used by the devil against the things of the Lord. You realize that? And Jesus said, if you're not, who, he who is not with me is against me. Sometimes we think we can come in here on a Sunday morning and we can sit in a seat and, and we can, we can kind of halfway sing. Right? Ooh, the battle belongs to the Lord. Ooh. You know, oh, God is good some of the time. God is good. We can halfway sing. We can throw $5 in the offering plate. We can serve, you know, once every four or five months and and feel like we did something good. That's not serving. That is not trusting the Lord of hosts. That is not being with Jesus. And he says, if you're not with him, you're against him. Lord, let us never be a church against Jesus. And when we join him, we become part of that same host. How cool is that? So let's not be against him. Let's be for him. He is for us. He is with us. Take courage. Let's do the work. Let's evangelize. Let's win the loss. Let's fill the building. Let's praise the Lord. And the last thing I want to share with you this morning, and and this is the one that just, man, this fires me up because I was an army guy. The Lord of hosts commands armies of angels and he rules over the battles that we face. Man, this one gets me fired up. We, we read the story in 2 Kings and most of you are familiar with it. Elisha was God's prophet and he was camped out with his servant and they got surrounded, surrounded by the enemy. The servant got up, came out of the tent, and boy, it did not look good. Like, this is, this is going to go south in a hurry. Elisha came out and go, it's no big deal. And the servant's like, what, what are you talking about, Elisha? Do you see all these people? They're all lined up against us. And Elisha prayed something that you all know about. He said, Lord... Let the scales fall from his eyes so that he may see. And when he prayed that prayer, all of a sudden his servant was able to see things he had never seen before. And all that those that are for us were greater than those against us. Do you know that they were always there? They were always there. They didn't just show up because Elisha prayed that prayer. Elisha knew they were there already. It's just the other guy couldn't see them. Church, just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not there. We sing that song, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but God, I'm surrounded by you. 
And Elisha's servant in that moment, he understood what that song was all about. Hey, Elisha, it looks like we're surrounded, but we're really surrounded by God and the Lord of hosts is going to mess them up. Hooah. I love that. And church, those that are for us will always, always be greater than those who are against us. Always. This kind of stuff stretches our faith because we don't always see it. But we take it by faith. That those who are with us are greater than those who are against us. We have to depend on God, and that's exactly what David did in 1 Samuel chapter 17. A story that we're all familiar with, and we love this. David said to the Philistine, the Goliath, he said, You come at me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom you have defied. That is the God of the armies of Israel. Hey, you come to me with your stuff, I couldn't care less because I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. I got you, bro. And you think, man, that's cool. That's cool, but I don't think I could do that. Well, see, here's the thing. David saw exactly what Elisha saw, what Elisha's servant saw, and what many of us don't, but it doesn't mean they're not there. David wrote this in Psalm 68. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Hey, let me tell you, God never lacks resources. There is no army that can come against him. There is no army that can come against you. There is nothing that you and I will ever face that God cannot and will not outnumber. Zechariah said it this way in Zechariah 4.6. So he answered and he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. See, church, the battle truly does belong to the Lord. The battle truly does belong to the Lord. You know what? He may ask you to fight it. He may ask you to be like David and charge Goliath, and it feels like all the, for all the world like it's your battle. But church, it's not your battle. You may be the one that everybody sees, but the battle belongs to the Lord. That's why David could take on Goliath. In the flesh, David didn't have a chance. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Elisha, when he walked out of his tent, man, they didn't have a chance. But the battle belongs to the Lord. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, the great pastor and preacher, he, he once talked about this particular passage of scripture from Zechariah and he said this, at this hour, a mountain of difficulty, distress or necessity 
may be in our way. And natural reason sees no path over it. No path through it. No path around it. But let faith come in. And straightway, the mountain disappears and becomes a plain. But faith must first hear the word of the Lord. Not by might. Not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You know, the best place that any of us can wind up is when we come to the end of ourselves and realize that God is all we got. Because when we get to that place and we can get on our knees and cry like Hannah to the Lord of hosts for provision or presence or protection or to fight our battle for us here's what Paul tells us about that God in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21 now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think whatever you think the solution is God's solution exceeds yours according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think the Lord of hosts he can provide his presence is with you his provision is with you his peace is with you and he will fight your battles if you need Jesus in your life today as your Lord and Savior to take that first step of faith to begin that journey like Charles Colson where everything about your life changes Come, let's talk about that. Let's, let's change that today. If you're here this morning and maybe God has just shown himself to you like he did to Isaiah in that moment. And you see a bigger God than you ever knew that he was. You just come partake and seek from the Lord of hosts. Whatever you need, he's got. Let's stand, Father. As we respond to your word this morning, God, I know there are people here this morning with needs, things that they don't think can work, battles they don't think that they can win, courage that they lack and they don't feel like they have. But Lord, you are the Lord of hosts and you can do exceedingly beyond anything that we can ask or imagine. So. God, in this moment, in this place, I pray that you will begin the work of doing more than we can ask or imagine as we cry out to the Lord of armies, to the Lord of hosts.